Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ. Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. We might have some fun with that one a bit later on. That sort of story in the news about the most unpopular word <laughs> in the English language. Funny, we were discussing about it before we came on, and myself and Fiona both came up with the same one, which is in the top 10. Um, if you missed it in the news, then I'm not sorry for you because we'll come back to it, we'll have more fun with it. Later on this morning, okay, we got a statement back yesterday in the follow-up to Gemma's call about her granny, who is in the mercy, and they're very worried about her. And Gemma told the story yesterday about just trying to find out from the hospital how she is and how her progress is, and whether she can get out of the COVID isolation ward that the hospital says she's in, even though she's had loads and loads of clear tests day after day. Got a hospital or a hospital statement back yesterday afternoon. Let you know what's in that a wee bit later on this morning. But there's a story. Oh yeah, listen, that awful, awful tragedy. I, I can't get it out of my head actually. That story from West Cork last evening. That misfortune how must they be that misfortunate family this morning uh, in Skibbereen with the, the little toddler killed in the driveway of the house I I just don't know how you'd move on or get back up from that, I I just don't know how you would thoughts are with them I think any one of us who's ever had children or even those of us who haven't our thoughts would be with that that misfortunate family in, in West Cork this morning speaking of families and speaking of children another story that's coming big again and look at the story we've been talking about since forever on the opinion line is the waiting list for children for services across Cork and Kerry we read this morning that there are more than 18,000 children now waiting for therapies including basic assessments across the Cork and Kerry region this figure was released following a parliamentary question by the Labour TD, Sean Sherlock. It doesn't include uh, children awaiting therapies for specialised disability network teams. My my friend Donald O'Keefe has a piece in the Examiner this morning saying that one of the huge waiting lists is for speech and language assessment and speech and language therapy. Something like six or 7,000 kids 
on that list. You have to ask yourself, how has it gotten this bad? Why is it always this bad? Why are children waiting so long? And I'm asking this question and beating this drum since, since as a family <coughs> ourselves, I beg your pardon, since as a family ourselves, we were trying to get services for our boy back in the day. And we thought we had to wait, but by God almighty, it's worse it's getting. It's absolutely worse it's getting. Georgina, you are one of the parents uh, stuck on a waiting list. Uh, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I think it's your son, isn't it? Yeah, my son Luke, he's six now, but um, we were waiting two and a half years um, for an assessment, and in the end we actually had to go private. We had no other choice. Otherwise, he wouldn't have got a place in preschool at the time, early intervention, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, we just had to go down the private route. We had no other choice. Yeah, The initial waiting time for an assessment alone, in your case, it's was two, two and a half years. God. If not more. Two yeah, and a half absolutely. years. Yeah. And without a diagnosis, you can't get into an early intervention unit. No. No, you can't. You get nothing without a diagnosis. That's just it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and where you are in East Cork's services aren't exactly falling off the shelf either. No, because he was in... I had a for early intervention for the first two years and then I was told he'd have a place for primary school and then when it came to primary school I was told he had lost his place so I had to fight again. And luckily, I did get into Educate Together in Middleton, which was great. But still, it was the uprooting and changing his routine again. Yeah. But luckily, he settled in okay. But still, L- Luke, when you're promised Luke is his name. Tell me a little bit about him, Georgina. Okay, so Luke is just six. He'll be seven this year in March. Like, he has very bad anxiety. He has... Um, He's waiting for occupational therapy again. He bangs his head quite a lot when he doesn't. He gets very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so does, does he, he speak? was non-verbal. Does he, speech? Yeah. he has speech. He was non-verbal up till about two and a half, three. Okay. But luckily, I paid for speech and language therapy myself again privately, and his speech came on. Good. So, like in his six years, he's only got one block of occupational therapy, which was five sessions, that was it. That's all he's ever got. Yeah. So he's back on the waiting list now again for more occupational therapy, and I was told I'd be waiting 12 to 18 months again. Just to be seen. Just to be seen, yeah. And and when you go private, and I know it's costly, Georgina, um, when, when you go private, how long do you wait then? Well, in fairness, now with the private, like at the moment, like for example, the Stepping Ahead Clinic in Cork, where I go, and they are fantastic up there. Um, it's like only about three weeks, but still, it's like every session then you're paying big money, like you know. It's a long time since it's a long time since I had to pay for a session for himself. So how 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 much would you be paying? I for think a it's about eighty euro for one session, and like that's maybe forty minutes to an hour. Yeah. And like you're going to need at least a block of 10, 12 sessions at a go. Like. You're talking a grand. Yeah, easily like, yeah. Yeah, and that's a grand. And remember, you've got to bring two grand, or you, you've got to raise 2,000 in working wages 
to make a grand these yeah. days, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mortgages and energy bills and the cost of living going up in general. Exactly, yeah. And like, there's no, there's nothing in East Cork really for kids with additional needs. Like, you know, like there is one thing in Middleton, and I'll have to say Gillian Murphy um, from Middleton um, organises football every Sunday. It's kind of football. They do all different kind of sports with them in the Middleton GA, but that's sure. the only thing in so there's absolutely nothing for them, like you know, which is very unfair. I know, I know. Life is tough enough without without this carry on. And you know what it is, Georgina. And I'm listening to you here, and you you join a list of as many mothers and fathers as I can care to recall speaking about here, yeah. both in the opinion line and back in my time in the newsroom. This n- nothing has changed. In fact, if anything, it's gotten worse. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And like in the six years that I've been fighting for this, like things have just are getting worse and worse the whole time. Like, yeah. there's no break at all. Like, you know. And and you know, for people who wouldn't understand the need for occupational therapy, it's 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 a term that most people will never have to try to understand. But like, what would what would OT regular OT mean for Luke? Well gets very overwhelmed and frustrated like so if he's not getting regular OT I have the likes of him like going to the extreme like because he doesn't understand everyday things so like if like for a normal five or six year old boy like if you tell them look this isn't right you can't do this they'll understand where Luke will start banging his head off the wall or banging his head off the table in frustration you know and then he gets very upset, like, and it could take me a good hour to calm him down sometimes, like. Yeah. And I want, like, no parent wants their child to be like that. No, no. And and does he get a lot of little meltdowns? Well, lately he has been, like, because he hasn't had occupational therapy again, like, with yeah. nearly going on. And I guess, George, like, what do you learn? What What does an OT teach you? with how to approach those little moments? Well, I suppose, like, you know, you have your social charts, like, and things like that, like, with Luke, like, you have to do things in steps with him. He has to have visuals and things, like, in front of him, even in school, like, the teachers have visuals for him. So, like, it's step by step by step. And everything is routine with Luke. If he's out of his routine, then the whole house is upset. Yes. you know? Yes, and the things that we do normally in our own heads, we jump four steps together. We've been doing it since Luke goes one step and one step and one step. And if you take a step out, he, he gets all confused. Oh, yeah. That's that's very hard. It's very hard on you, Georgina, as well, isn't it? Oh, it is. Like, and, you know, like, I I do work as well. Like, so, like, it's just um, trying to have everything in place for him. Like, he gets a taxi to school now, like... And that's great and everything. But like, if there's a change, like there was a change in his taxi driver there for a while, like, and that kind of upset him. Then for a while, till he got used to that taxi driver again, yeah. like, yeah. you know. Again, that's that's something that many people wouldn't understand. Even a simple thing, like his taxi turning up with a different driver. Yeah, exactly. That throws yeah. him. Yeah, it oh, it does. It throws him completely. Like. 
So. Do, you, do you worry, Georgina, about his future? Do you, do you like, if you get a, a moment to yourself, do you, do you, do you worry? I do, to be honest. Like, like as I said, myself and my husband are get, aren't getting any younger. Like, and like he has an older sister. Like, but like you can't put that on her. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. so just yeah, and like. I don't know. Down along the line, I like I'm like he is verbal and he does go to mainstream school for a half an hour every day. So he is coming on. Good, good. Which is great. And but, something that a lot of autistic kids have a problem with is they don't have the words to express what's wrong. I know he's got words now. Is he able to express what's going on or does he get frustrated? Yeah, like, he tell me, like, if he's sad or he's mad, but sometimes he can't tell me why he's sad or he's mad, like, sure. you know? Sure. It's so, it's just, yeah. Yeah. And the people that you meet in the system who are telling you that you'll be 18 months waiting for occupational therapy, like, they don't take any yeah, joy in telling you that, like, do they? They're just no, saying... they don't. Oh, no. Fairness to them, like they're always apologizing anytime I ring on the phone asking, Is there any update? Like, but like it's not their fault at the end of the day, like, but it's just the HSE is just the way it is. Like, and even during lockdown, like it was so hard, like with him out of school, like out of his routine. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, it was just like we had to just keep his routine that we had at home with him as best we could, like, and Myself and my husband were like trying to work. We were still working, like as I work in a nursing home, like so. He, we were still working during the whole of lockdown, like the both of us, like so. Sure. It was just trying to, you know, keep did, things going for did, him. Did like, Luke and find the up. lockdown very hard? He did. He did. Like he, he actually loves school. Like to be honest, like yeah. he does love school and he likes meeting his couple of little friends in the class. Like so. He couldn't understand why he couldn't go to school. He knew, like, that COVID existed. I was trying to explain to him about it, but he didn't fully understand, like, why he couldn't go to school. Like, I know. Do you know? I know. I know. And when they did get back to school, he, he um, is a chronic asthmatic as well, so he's missed out on a good bit of school even after going back because, do you know, even if you have the slightest cough, you can't go to school. Correct. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I could take the recording of the last five minutes, Georgina, and I could stack it up in a corner. And if we were putting each one as a as a tape, as it were, remember old fashioned tapes or a CD, I'd have a stack going yeah. floor to going floor to ceiling. I'm talking to parents um, like you for forever, and it's it's just yeah. getting it's just getting worse. Do you have yeah, other parents that you talk to? Are there other parents in the same situation that you talk to? Yeah, most, like, the few people that I'm talking to, like, that have kids with additional needs as well, as same as Luke, like, they're all in the same situation. And it's just like a never-ending battle, like. Yeah. Yeah. A never-ending battle. That is the best way to refer to it. It really yeah. is. I wish you well and I wish him well and they sound like terribly hollow, hollow words in that I've probably said them to a hundred people right now and I often wonder are those people doing as well as I would have hoped they're doing but uh, to you and to Luke and everybody else in the family Georgina uh, as all I can say is I wish you well 
Thanks very much. Uh, Sabrina has called the opinion line. Hey, Sabrina. Hi, how are you? Hi, uh, your boy? My son. So, like, both my children have autism, and my daughter was diagnosed with later than my son because, um, obviously, she's younger. Um, but with my son, he he suffered a neonatal stroke at birth, and we were told that, you know, he's going to need physio and OT and speech and language, and... And they were very good up until he got to about school going age, which would have been about 2017. And like he was in with the early intervention because he also has another condition, um, Menke syndrome. It's uh, presents with bicornal cranial synostosis, so he's up in uh, Temple Street a lot with that. And um, so he got into the early intervention team. And they, I, I swear I can't fault him with my son. But uh, then um, when he got to school, he was phased out of the early intervention team. And we were put on the public, um, oh, what's it called again? I can't think of the name. But anyway, we were seen uh, by a primary care, primary care, that's it. Yeah. And um, like he was waiting, he was seen, he had an assessment done in 2017 and he got block sessions for speech and language then. And he, six weeks. So then we were put back on the waiting list. He was seen again in 2019 for six weeks. And now we're back on the, uh, we were put back on the waiting list. Um, but since then, he's been sent to the um, Progressive Disability Services here in Middleton. So, um, but, you know, but I'm still, again, just because he's there doesn't mean he's being seen. You know, um, I think it's an absolute joke how we have to fight for every appointment. His eye appointment is the one that has me really stressed out at the moment. Um, he's got a squint in his eye. He's long sighted, and he'd been recently diagnosed by Temple Street um, with cerebral vision impairment. And... The, uh, the 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 eye clinic up in Cork, um, they uh, they queried it in 2017, but never investigated it. Yeah. So then we um, we were meant to be seen in July 2019, but they said, "Oh, COVID happened. COVID did not exist." Thing, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was like, "Okay." So eventually, we were seen by March or December 2020. Hold on. They didn't blame. They surely didn't mention COVID in July 2019. No. They said he was meant to be seen in July 2019, but COVID happened. Okay, so this is okay, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, and then we were eventually seen by December 2020, and we were reassured because he has because he's got a squint in his eye. We were told his whole life he needs an operation on this when he's eight or nine, yeah. and. I asked them what's going on with the operation and they said, like, oh, we don't know. Uh, we'll wait and see how he goes with these new lenses. And we'll be seen again in a few months. And I honestly looked at the consultant and I said to him, I said, do you know when you say in a few months, do you mean actually in a few months or in a few years? Because I know the score. And he said, um, no, 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 it'll be in a few months and you'll see the consultant straight away and he won't need the drops in his eyes and... And I, I actually rang them now last week and they said he's not going to be seen this year at all. So when was uh, he last seen, Sabrina? December 2020. And you've already been told he won't be seen again in 2022? That he won't be seen in 2022 at all, no. And so he's, he's got an way. eye condition that is getting worse. Yes. He needs an operation. He needs an operation on his eye to correct the squint. Yeah. Um, well, you're talking to someone, Sabrina, who had three of those operations when I was 18. So yeah. I know how important they are. Yeah. And, like, it's so hard for my son because he cannot see what's in front of him. You know, like, um, like his sister's shoes, he got confused because they were navy and pink and they thought he was his because his were navy and white. You know, um, 
if I ask him to go get his glasses, he doesn't know where he put them, that I have to take them to put them somewhere so I know where they are. So, you know, to compensate for him losing them, I still have to get him dressed. I still have to get him, I still have to feed him. I still have to supervise him brushing his teeth and then finish it off for him. You know, all these things that a nine-year-old should be able to do. I know. Are you getting any OT? Um, He was in with OT uh, in primary care. But again, like I said, he's been transferred to the Progressive Disability Services. When did he, um, uh, when so did he uh, see a therapist? Uh, when did we, March, I think. No. Yeah, March, I think. Right. right but so. that, was, that was a fight in itself. Um, he, it was, he was in first class and his, his special needs assistant uh, over, again, Educate Together, Middleton Educate Together, fantastic. I cannot fault them at all. Sure. She, she was fight, fighting to get him seen um, because he'd been on the list three and a half years at this stage. Uh, marked as high priority also because, like I said, he suffered a stroke. And um, he, they were fighting. They said, oh, he'll be seen in um, in August or September, which they, um, that was the February of 2020, we were told that. And um, we, uh, yeah, so that was what we were told then. Um, and then obviously COVID happened and nothing happened then. And then it was January last year by the time he got seen. So it was just gone on the four years. Gone, just gone over the four years he was waiting to be seen. You get tired and bet down, don't you, Sabrina? Trying to get it's the... exhausting. It's so tired because it's, you're fighting an uphill battle. You're pushing a boulder up a hill and there's no one there behind you to help you. Know. You know? It's just so disheartening because, like... And the people you, you know, meet are decent people who really want to help, but... Oh, uh, like the lady that was on beforehand, I was listening to her. She said, uh, whenever you ring, they're saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm sorry about the waiting list. And I understand they're understaffed. And I understand that when somebody's out maternity leave, the HSE doesn't cover somebody else to co- to cover the maternity leave. You know, and then that position is left empty for months. Yeah. Um, and I understand that. And I'm accepting that their people are human as well. But... Do you know, it's just not fair on the children. Like, yeah. there should be something more done for them. Like, know. you know, my, my son now has been is slipping through the cracks only for the fact that I fight for him and I fight for every appointment he gets. If I didn't, he wouldn't get them. Yeah. You know, it's just so disheartening, like. I know, I know. Sabrina, I, my heart goes out to you. You, you and, 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 and Georgina before you, you're just two more people that I've spoken to to add to the dozens more I've spoken to over the years about this kind of thing. Uh, thank you, Sabrina, and good luck to you and your and your kids. Uh, Antoinette says, these new progressive services are a joke. My daughter has a dislocated hip for the past 10 years. She's been pawned off over and over again, waiting on a scan. She's had an MRI and gait analysis. Something needs to be done. My older son has autism too. I also get frustrated with waiting lists, but I'm grateful too with all I can get. My biological brother in South Africa has autism, got next to no support, and the support there is really expensive. I know hearing this mightn't help those who are frustrated and waiting, but in the same breath, I'm beyond grateful to even get as much as I do. That That is part of the problem. We're, we're so grateful for the crumbs we get. My daughter was referred to an orthodontist in fifth class. She's now in second year. Appointment came just before Christmas. She needs braces. Guess what? It'll be four years before they can be done. So assessed at 11 and maybe 18 before they can be done. 
by which time, I hate to tell you, she possibly will have aged out of the system. Yeah. She says it's not as important as the people on the radio. Oh, it's every bit as important. It's every bit as important. The waiting lists are affecting everything. My son was waiting 14 months for assessment of needs. He's on waiting lists for OT, for speech and language, for psychological help. He needed surgery in 2019. I got a letter in 2021 to see if he still needed it. Huh? Stuart says, how long is the waiting list? In other words, 18,000 divided by how many assessments per year? It was 23 months before the pandemic. Now it's much, much longer. All that newfound fervour for children's mental health. Guess what? It doesn't actually extend to funding the broken system. And I may tell you, I need to stop and take a break. But we are inundated once again with comments on this. 18,000 children on various waiting lists in Cork and Kerry. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie the best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Your sport on your terms Stream only the games that matter to you most With Now Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app Cork's 96fm Yeah, caller on the phone says I have a friend who worked hard to qualify as an occupational therapist And she had to go off to Australia to get a job The HSE just aren't taking them on Uh, More and more and more comments coming in about people with kids on waiting lists. And we'll take your calls. We'll take your calls because we just need to keep highlighting this and making an issue out of it. 0818 on a slightly happier note. Hello, Holly. Hi. Hiya. How old are you, Holly? I'm eight years old. You're eight. And you've asked to join, you've applied to join the fire brigade. Yeah. Why do you want to be a firefighter? Because it sounds fun and I don't mind giving up school. (laughs) I'm not afraid of heights. I'm I'm, I'm able to climb ladders and I love helping people. Okay. All right, and that you think you'd be a good firefighter because of all those things. Yeah. Yeah, and you you, you wouldn't mind giving up school. I'd say most eight-year-olds wouldn't mind giving up school, do you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Now, th- th- I was looking at the rules, Holly. Uh, I was looking at the rules this morning early when I knew I'd be talking to you. And it, see, they won't let you join until you're 18, honey. Do you know? Yeah. How do, how do you feel about that? Um, a bit upset. I got a letter saying that too. Oh, they wrote back to you. Yeah. 
Is your dad there? Um, yeah, he is. Morning, Peter. How are you, boy? How are you doing, Dennis? <laughs> she's ambi- you? she's ambitious. Of course, you're you're a firefighter yourself, aren't you? That's correct. Yeah, in a abandoned fire station. Right. She's ambitious. Oh, definitely, yeah, and a constant source of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Great enthusiasm. She knows all about ladders. I mean, has she been in around the the station with you? Yeah, she's been in a few times. All right, yeah, she got the tour, so she's um. She's very excited to join. So she got a lovely letter this morning from uh, the uh, chief fire officer saying that she can um, she can join when she's eighteen properly. She can go for an interview. So um, she's all excited about that. We've only ten years to wait. <laughs> I'd, I'd say she's well prepared for that interview even at the moment. You know, uh, she, yeah. she, and it, I, I I wonder is it unusual for for little eight year old girls to want to be firefighters? It's it's mostly a a job that men that, that that men do. Do you think we need more women in there? Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. The service needs more women, yeah, without a doubt. Um, yeah. So, um, we're they're always looking for people. So, anyone that has a um any idea of going for it should apply. There's lots of stations in Cork County you now looking for people at the moment. So, the opportunities are there if people want to go for them. You'll have to persuade her to stay at school till she's 18. Do you think you'll manage that? Yeah, I'll have my work cut out. <laughs> Can I put, put me back onto her for a second? I want her to get me. Oh, really? No problem. Yeah. Holly, tell, tell, yeah. me about, tell me about the letter you got this morning. I got the letter from Seamus, the chief fire officer. Okay, okay. Um, and he told me that I'm not allowed to start until I'm 18 on my own. Right. But he thought I was very clever to join my sister's age. Fantastic. And he said he'll keep my CV on file. Oh, very good. Oh, that's the most important bit. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? I know you took a break from school to come and talk to me. And I'm glad you did. And thank you. And thank you, Dennis. You're welcome, PJ. Take care now. Thanks. So that, that's Dennis. See you, Holly. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Good luck with bye. everything. Bye. Good luck. Bye-bye. Okay. See you now. Bye. That's that's great. Thanks a lot. That's Holly and uh, Dennis O'Mahony. Dennis is the firefighter in Bandon, and Holly is eight and determined to get up them ladders with a hose in hand sometime soon. She has to wait she's 18. But only the chief fire officer uh, wrote to her this morning. Uh, just nice, encouraging letter. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, th- come here. Um, I got the first of our new energy bills in there in the last while. Now, I did a big thing towards the end of last year. I kind of saw this um, energy thing coming, and I went to one of those comparison websites, Bonkers. Uh, now, I, I had known about it, but I went to it. And I was able to sign up to a contract, which and did it in about an hour, which which keeps my bills at a decent level for the next year. So with a bit of luck, I'm going to avoid some of the hikes, some of the increases that are coming, or at least they'll be softened a bit for me. But have you noticed, because a lot of people are saying their bills are gone up, like they got their last bill before Christmas, say for the gas or the electric, and they've got a new bill now and it's gone through the roof. Cost of food is going up, small, 
but you know, a few pence here and a few cents there and a euro there and 50 there and you know it all mounts up it all mounts up actually um i was listening to an interview on british radio the other day um where somebody went through i'll get the, i'll remember the name of the person in a minute but she, she's a blogger and she went through a list of stuff that's gone up by a few cents here and a, a few pence there and a pound and you know in the course of a regular like your weekly shop your regular weekly shop in Dunn's or Aldi or Lidl or Super Value or Tesco or wherever you want to go. Your average weekly supermarket shop. Uh, you know, the essentials. Not the luxury stuff now, the essentials. Have you noticed it starting to creep up? Because I know we have at home. We have it. Queen, Queen Bee does the shopping there. Of a, usually of a Monday after work, she'll do the, the bit of shopping. And we've noticed it. It, it is going up. Slowly. But it's going up. Not to, and, and the bills, the... Oh, listen. And you know what? If this thing in the Ukraine, between the Ukraine and Russia, gets worse, the bills could go up even more. And, and not to mind the carry-on of the Russians 200 and something miles off the coast of Ireland. Now, they're not breaking any law by going in to our waters, or they're not our waters, you see, they're not our waters, they're our commercial interest waters, but they're, they're going in there to test missiles and basically play war games. The Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation is not a bit happy. Patrick Murphy, good morning. Good morning, PJ, and good morning to the listeners, and um, nice to talk to you again. Now, this exercise, such as it is, uh, won't be hap- will it be happening in waters where where you and your colleagues would regularly fish, or is it further out? So you see, uh, the, all the information wasn't given out, PJ, because right. we had to wait for contact from the Russian embassy first, and we're still waiting for confirmation because they don't have much information either. You see, when this we found out about this on social media because we weren't notified by anybody. And we haven't been notified by anybody about any other military um, uh, activities that I learned this morning from an Irish gen- journalist working in Russia uh, asking me why, why were we picking on the poor Russians? And I said to him, well, I didn't realise there was other mil- military exercises going on in this area. We're not notified. But the information we got from a Russian website said uh, a lot of information and it included firing of missiles and uh, uh, and live ammunition, right? And that's a change. So uh, we have boats operating that area and, you know, the laws of gravity dictate anything that goes up will come down. Yes. So we have boats working in that area and that raised the concerns. And there's a lot of uh, groundings of, of cetaceans, of uh, dolphins and, and, and whales, in the last number of years. And unfortunately, it's always the fishermen that gets the, the blame yeah. for everything, uh, anything bad in the sea. And we're kind of questioning now, well, hold on a second, if these activities are going on outside there, and we see that the whales and dolphins group are now saying, well, this could be uh, the reasons, and the scientists are saying, well, you know, maybe we should be looking at this a little closer. Uh, and the safety aspect for our boats, um, we think it's it's our right and our duty to point this out. Now, I want to explain to the listeners 
we fishermen are not mad. There is no way an Irish fishing boat is going to take on a Russian battleship. And I'm laughing as I say this because some people thought that. I think people have their in their mind that like Greenpeace, we've seen the videos of them flying around the ships and shouting and roaring with loud hailers and nearly throwing stones at them, right? We're not doing that. What we're doing is we're going fishing in the area where we traditionally fish. We've made everybody aware that if somebody turns around and tells us, listen, there's exercises going on, we're moving over here, now you have to move. We're not moving. That's the protest. We are going to continue to fish. Our fishery starts in the Parkland Basin on the 1st of February. We have a very important net drop fishery there. We get maybe six months quota in the year, and it's really, really important for our fleet. So just to highlight this for the listeners, we had uh, hundreds of boats in our fleet and because we've been savaged and cut throughout the decades yeah. uh, through European policies, being, and especially now with Brexit, with it again about to happen, our fleet will be reduced to, yeah. if the plans are, are invoked, we're on the 120 boats. Yeah. And people should pause and listen to that, because what you just started off the conversation with before is food security, cost yeah, of food yeah, and everything yeah, yeah, going yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So just imagine if we don't have a fishing fleet with 29% of the waters, of Europe's waters with around 5% of the fish in Europe. And then we are told, well, if you want fish, you can buy it off the foreign boats because we don't have a fleet because it was taken off us or it was given away or it was bought off us. And this is happening. So it's not just about the Russian fleet outside there. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like all the austerity measures that was foisted upon Ireland's uh, country and cuts to SNAs, special needs assistance, the whole lot. And we swallowed the whole lot until they said, you know, we'll charge you for water. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Will we feel this is the straw now right. that's breaking the back of the fishermen? So, so we're not going to, to put the, fishermen it, in danger. It's early February or early March. I'm trying to remember which now it is that they're supposed well, to there's do the, this. So the development we have now from the Russian embassy, the, the word and the conversation we got, if, 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 if I heard it correctly, so I can, I can be corrected, I'm not infallible, um, was that they're going to notify the government with more details of the exercise on the 27th of this month, and they're expecting the Irish government then to issue either warnings or tell us to get out of the area. Now, that's a different conversation. <laughs> so what because you're if going our to Irish do is, government you're, is going... You're going out to know where these... You're going out to fish, as you normally fish. You're We're going, going out, out to fish in our traditional areas. Right. We're not going out to antagonise any nation whatsoever. Sure. Uh, we just want to go and fish. That's it. So, so we're not going to send any boat out to target right. a, a Russian trawler or a Russian uh, uh, battleship, we would lose. We would lose that one. So we're yeah. not going to be asking anybody to do that. Well, what we're saying either. is, is that no. Well, we'll be fishing. We'll be moving along the seabed catching fish, yeah. but we won't be moving away from the fish. And I think that's unreasonable. And anybody that believes that this isn't inside in our waters is incorrect. It is in our waters. Ten right. times our landmass is our waters. Yeah. And just because that people are trying to confuse that our own internal waters, as inside the 12 miles, are just ours, that is correct. But these waters are ours too. And if you don't believe me, have a look at what happened with Brexit and look yeah. at the maps. Maybe to clarify that in one line, the 12, the 12 miles is exclusively ours, but we're allowed yes, to make no. a commercial business up to a certain distance of a couple of hundred kilometres. And it's in there that they're doing this testing, correct? Yes, so if, if we left the EU, like the, like 
Britain, that 200 miles would be ours. Nobody else would be able to come in and fish there, just like the English, unless there's an agreement. But because we're part of the EU now, we share those waters, and they have been given permission to manage the stocks. You know, they, they do, but they're our fish and make no bones about this. Just like the UK, under the Uniclass law, these fish in our EZ are ours. So we're sharing them as a shared resource with everybody else. I don't agree with the share ratio, PJ. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. That's a whole conversation it's, in itself, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, like people want to hear it because as you said, when you led into this conversation, this is serious for the Irish people. And if before you... Uh, realise it, it will be gone if we don't fight to protect it. And we need the Irish public to understand what's happening. And it's not right that one third of our fishing fleet is to be thrown in the scrap heap. We, you were there when we brought the flotillas to Carkin in Dublin. Right. And what we predicted is happening. And the Irish people shouldn't allow it to happen. They should be standing up and they're saying, no, we shouldn't be allowing our fishermen to be uh, put out of business. All right. All right. And I, I think at the moment now, and I'm not making light of it, Patrick, because I admire what you're doing. I really do. You know, what you're basically doing is you're all there learning the Russian for, back off, lads, we're fishing. Yeah. <laughs> well, in fairness now, PJ, we, we didn't expect to get communique from the Russian embassy, but it's happening. So, you know, uh, at least we're doing that anyway. Uh, we're, 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 we're not in that spectrum, but sure, we'll wear any hats we have to, to keep our legs on the water fishing and earning a few bob for, for the coastal communities they support. You Patrick, you're, you're, you're great people. You're great people. And, and you supply us with the best fish on the planet. Patrick Murphy from the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organization. <laughs> All buying Russian dictionaries. Fick off, lads! We're fishing! Go away! Take your guns and play elsewhere! Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie the two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Yes! Cash! The two grand minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. Getting a few messages in there from people who just notice individual items that they would buy every week in their shop starting to creep up. Uh, I'll go through some of them in a minute. But a while ago, I read out a comment uh, from a mom who was told that her son needed surgery. In, she was told in 2019 that her son needed surgery. And Georgina, you got a letter yeah. in October asking if he still needed it? Yeah, exactly. Now, he didn't, CJ, because I had to go private. Right. Um, he needed to be circumcised. He couldn't pee. I had to hold him onto the toilet and not, sorry, to distress people, but I physically had to hold him on the toilet to make him pee. He would squeeze his pee-pee until it was blue. Not pee because I hurt him so much. He was in in A&E and they were like, oh, you have to go to paediatric urologist, which I did. I rang him every day and I eventually got an appointment three weeks after this started. Right, but now he was on a waiting list since April, but the pain got worse in the August, okay? So um, the doctor saw him, I went private, and he said he never saw such a bad case of scar tissue. And and, and a simple little little operation. Yeah, 
and because of his disability, his additional needs, sorry. Um, call it with, call it whatever you're comfortable with. I don't play that that game, George. Uh, no, his additional needs. He's a high pain threshold, so he doesn't feel pain. Like he split his head open walking to school and kept walking. Oh God, the poor lad. Yeah, and you know, and um, he, the doctor, in fairness, urologist, then put him in the public sector to get the circumcision because he said he doesn't look at private or public. He's just get it done, you know. Good. And I got a letter then in October. Your son is due to be circumcised. Do you still need this operation? Oh. And now, if he had to wait that long, he, oh, he would have been dead, I'd say. Because he wouldn't be able to. His bladder would have exploded. Oh, God, Georgina. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. He's okay now, is he? Oh, he's okay. But he's like that now. He he has uh, additional needs. He was diagnosed with dyspraxia in February 2020. And I went private because the waiting list was too long for public. And I'm lucky that I could go private, PJ, because there's not a lot of people out there who can. No, no. And he started private OT in July 2020. I applied for assessment of needs publicly and I got a letter saying you're on the waiting list. <clears throat> so he has had two public OTs since his diagnosis in 2020, February 2020. He's two, two public OT appointments in December this year. And they cancelled the third one because of COVID. Wow. Yeah. As I said, Georgina, we've been talking about these kind of things for for so long and it's worse, it seems, to get... It's worse, it seems, to get... Look, I hope hope he's okay and that he'll be okay. I mean, where are you with services now? You're still waiting. I I got... uh, Would you believe now he's... I have him privately in the Stepping Ahead Clinic up in... um, Blackpool, you know, yeah. and I got a phone call from his assessment and needs officer to say that they were outsourcing the, assess- the preliminary te- um, examination for assessment and needs and they outsourced it to the stepping ahead and they knew him anyway, so I was very lucky there, but that's where I'm at. I have, I had a private diagnosis of ADHD yeah. and he needs, he needs OT for self-care because he's no body awareness with the dyspraxia. He's psychology because he's the ADHD and he needs to be medicated because of his dyspraxia. The ADHD is counteracting it, so he needs to focus for dyspraxia, but he can't because his brain is going. Oh, the poor lad. So he's on waste. But as I said, I am private with it and it is costing me a lot of money every week between 100 and 150 euros. Do you feel like banging your head off a wall sometimes, George? Oh, yeah. I, I said, like, I said to, I rang the assessment officer, I said, assessment and needs are meant to be done within six months. That's legally, that's the law. That's right. That's the law. And she's like, well, I send you a letter of complaint. Now, she's lovely. She goes, I send you out the complaint post. But there's no point complaining because every other parent is in the same boat. Yeah. And not, not parents are lucky that I have such a great support system with his school and with my own family that I'm able to provide him. If I had to wait for him to be on this, he'd be three years waiting for stuff. I mean, he needs the help now, like every other child. They need it now so they can develop. That's right. Not later on, you know? That's right, Georgina. Listen, thank you. Thank you so much for being being with us on on the programme. Just another, I mean, that's three mums this morning uh, to add to the dozens more that I've spoken to over the years. Fiona, obviously not going to get to, to Joe this side of of 10. It, it ain't going to happen. But we just wanted to give Georgina a couple of minutes. Imagine that. The little lad was waiting for circumcision. <sighs> oh. 
can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Week On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. It's worth reminding you again. I haven't done it for a while, which was remiss of me. The full show is repeated on podcast in the afternoon. It becomes available through the 96FM app or indeed on any of your own platforms. In around 3 o'clock, we've got that there. But other bits of the programme, which we choose to do as what we call podcast extras, they become available from lunchtime. So certain elements of the show become podcast extras. So watch your feed and keep an eye on where you get your podcasts. If there's something you wanted to hear back or hear again, from the show, just keep an eye on the podcast feed. Make sure it's up to date. Make sure you're following our podcasts and getting them updated automatically in your system. And anything that you want to hear again will come up every afternoon. And of course, if you're listening to us overnight, we have the shorter version of the show runs between 3 and 5 a.m. And I know we get a lot of people in many, many corners of the world who listen to us. That's their daily show. If they're five or six hours behind or five or six hours ahead, and they pick us up on the overnight repeat. And if you're one of those people and you want to contact us, well, the best way to do that, of course, is the email, which is always there. Opinion at 96fm.ie. Just on bills and costs. And the straight answer to this, Paul, is I don't know, but we will try to find out about your query. Just wondering if you have any information about the €100 off electricity bills. I have a pay-as-you-go meter, which was installed a few years back, to have more control over how much I spend. I'd like to point out I was never in arrears when I was a bill pay customer. I'm wondering, am I excluded from the 100 euro due to having pay as you go? Any information would be greatly appreciated. I love the show. Thank you, Paul. That's a very, very good question. The answer to which I simply don't know. I know that they're working on legislation or whatever it takes to put this thing through. Uh, Credit for every household to, you know, put alleviate the cost and all that kind of nonsense. Um, but I don't know. And there's thousands of people like Paul who have these pay-as-you-go meters where you pay your electricity, like you buy it like phone credit. And do people still buy phone? Yeah, you buy it like phone credit. And you put it into the meter and Paul doesn't know what the story is. That would be a very interesting one to follow up. We will try to do that. Brennan's bread, PJ, has gone from 169 for a loaf of bread to 175. 
I've noticed a few cents on lots of things, but Tesco's own brand of pizza. Crikey. Tesco's own brand of pizza from 60 cents to 110. Crikey. Keep those coming in as well if you're spotting prices going up. John in Cove made a very good point on the fisher fishermen and the threat to the industry. I'll come to that. But another John says, I'd, I'd trust the Russians before I'd trust the British and the Americans. 0818 96 96 96. Are you a friend of someone who's living with an eating disorder? Or are you someone who yourself lives with an eating disorder? How do you go about getting help for the person you love or getting help for yourself? How do you know whether you've got an eating disorder or not? Could you have one and not be diagnosed? I'm going to talk to Jacqueline Campion, who's the host of a podcast called Calling It Out and is also a therapist uh, and also herself in recovery from uh, eating disorders. Although... You don't want us to use the term eating disorder anymore, Jacqueline. You want us to change the word to emo- to eating distress. And that's where I'd like to start. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you so much for, um, for having me on the show and giving us the opportunity to shed some light and spread some understanding. So, so I suppose myself, I'm fully recovered and fully free from eating distress as well as working as a recovery coach at Marino Therapy Centre. It's not that we would say we don't want you to use the term eating disorder, but I mean, the last 30 years, Marino Therapy Centre has been specialising and working with people to free themselves. So why we use the term eating distress more than eating disorder is that we've never worked with anybody who is disordered. You know, if you, a lot of the time, um, if anyone is experiencing distress around their body or around food, the self-esteem and the self-confidence is not going to just be low. It's going to be in the minus. So it's not that someone is disordered, but there is a distress that's eating the person. And really, a lot of the time, as I said, another way that we refer to it is that ultimately it's like a not good enough syndrome. Unfortunately, a lot of the time we're eating distress or eating disorders, as people are maybe more familiar with is the term. We get so focused on the food part of it and we think that that's the problem that we can actually be missing um, really what's going on because the the food and the body and the behaviours that are taken out um, on the food and the body, they're not the problem, but they're the solution to an underlying issue. So we wouldn't just solely on the behaviour but we're getting curious about the thinking and the feeling and that person's relationship with themselves it isn't a life sentence it doesn't have to be you can be fully recovered and fully free and if there was one thing that your listeners took from today you know we'd be making moves and we'd be making shifts um, in the bigger picture um, you also point out that Eating disorder is is from the DSM, which is a, a, a diagnostic book, the International Book of Diagnostics, to give it its to give it its its commonplace term. And you reckon it's too mm. medicalized? Like, you know, distress. We all we all suffer distress in our lives, and we all know that it's triggered by mm. something. So, are, it, it, do you believe, Jacqueline? I'm picking up right here because listen to a couple of episodes of your of your, of your podcast. Let let's let's call it an eat, eating distress is triggered by something. It didn't just happen. There's an underlying cause. Do you want us to take that? Is that a learning you want us to take? Um, that We would approach it a case of like, uh, when, when you're looking at kind of healing yourself from eating distress, what we've experienced over the last 30 years of working with it 
is that asking why is like digging at the roots of a plant um, that isn't growing how you want it to. And when you're digging at the roots of a plant that isn't growing how you expect it to, it can be really great for the researcher and you can kind of come to a hypothesis eventually. But ultimately for the person who is, it's not great for the plant ultimately. So we wouldn't be so much asking why. So with eating distress, it is formed on a subconscious level. There's a school of opinion that would refer to of it that is like a, con- a cancer of the mind. The mind is colonized by self limiting and what we would call very conditioned beliefs and thoughts so there's a lot of like I can't I'm not good enough the language of someone suffering from eating distress is going to be like a prison warden it is like you're in a prison it's I can't have to should need to so we wouldn't necessarily say that it's triggered by something or one thing but it's often just even a reaction to our environment it's a it's a really it's it can be a whole kind of list of different things it's a multifaceted issue so there can be what we do know and we have still so much to learn about eating distress but what we do know is that most people if not everyone experiencing eating distress and everyone that I've worked with over the last 12 years experiencing eating distress are highly and super sensitive they're like satellites so we're they're absorbing things on a much deeper level and it's getting in without a filter so even listening to the news or what's been happening in the last two years where they're absorbing it on a much deeper level and that kind of it can create a lot of diff- like uncomfortable feelings it can create a lot of as I said the condition thinking can't have to should need to I'm not good enough or I'll be good enough when and then all that thoughts every thought that we have creates a different chemical reaction happening in the body so we want to be learning the language of freedom and more what we can do about it so I wouldn't say it's a it's a little bit more complex and it's just triggered by one thing and we're very much so when you have self-harming behaviors okay this is where we are what can we do about it Mm. because the full freedom is possible yeah 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 let's talk let's talk about getting out of this mess rather than what has got 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 us into it as as it were in 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 my own personal circle one individual whom i know well mm. had been to mm. rehab for alcohol abuse quite a number of times mm. but the penny finally mm. dropped when one of their therapists said actually i think your problem isn't alcohol at all i think mm. your problem is and what you would now call eating distress and a penny mm. dropped and that person has neither touched a drink or been anywhere like it near a drink since. And their life is back on track big time because they went and got treatment for the right thing. Well, and I'm so, that's incredible, you know, and it's so lovely to even hear that because that's why it's not just, the, we don't, we have enough awareness at this stage. It's actually understanding that we need. And because it's quite a complex issue, we're often dealing with um, people who are not just, it's not just the behaviours. A lot of the time it's even hidden around drugs, alcohol, especially with men as well. It can, yeah. There can be so much shame around actually saying, okay, it's eating distress. It can sometimes be more comfortable to say, this is depression or this is alcohol or this is drug dependency. And that's exactly it about even the more we're understanding that there's a stress the distress that's eating the person that actually when you go there is a place for diagnostics I will say that you know it's it's just about not attaching to the diagnosis too much and just being wary that is my identity wrapped up in my diagnosis you know so that's why we wouldn't use the language of like I'm anorexic or I'm a binger or I'm an exercise addict or I'm a bulimic it's actually like okay I'm Jacqueline who is experiencing a distress you know, as opposed to 
I am disordered because as I said, I've not met anybody yet that I've been working with that is sure. disordered, sure. but it's so important. Like you said, looking more at the thinking and the feeling and not getting too focused on the behaviors, on the weight, on the size, weight is not recovery. And so many of us are not getting these diagnoses because we don't, uh, this is one of the most challenging things with eating stress is that many of us, because we don't feel good enough, we don't feel sick enough. We don't feel worthy of the support. We feel like somebody else would be better taking up that time and that resource so it's actually so challenging to say like okay I actually don't feel like I'm sick enough to go to get the help so it's just so important that if you are relating to a lot of not good enough in your thinking not too much kind of folks am I sick enough kind of going okay, well, I'm actually finding things challenging. I deserve support and I deserve help. You know, we know that you're good enough and you're worthy because you, because you were born, you know? So it just gets conditioned as we go through in our life sometimes about the, what is good enough. There's so. an inner voice, isn't there, sometimes too, Jacqueline, that is telling you, yeah. oh no, oh God, no, no one's interested in your problems. Get on with yourself. Mm. That little voice totally. is a horrible little voice. Absolutely. And I would refer to that voice and I would have, I personally refer to it as like, it's like a dictator in your mind. Cause as I said, it's like your subconscious mind. You're not even aware of it. Like your work, like, you know, the last, I myself in the last 12 years I've been working with highly, highly intelligent and creative people and the behaviors, they would be so ashamed to even share and my, from my own personal journey as well. You know, I wouldn't be kind of shouting from the rooftops what I used to get up to in terms of, you know, behaviors and things like that. But it's like, it's like a terrorism. Terrorism is a high intelligence hijacked by fear so when you're feeling unsafe when you're feeling kind of insecure it's that kind of the dictator it's like a toxic relationship within the mind so you there's like an abuser in the mind and it's just about even navigating I would often say like I kind of bring it down to like awareness acceptance and action so even to bring awareness to that regime in the mind that's quite a courageous and brave thing to do because it can be quite scary you know dictators are only so powerful because of their followers so if you want to take down a regime we're educating the people and that's why when you're working with people eating stress you're teaching them about even you know their own values for so long there's such a gray area you think you're the disorder you think you're the ed you think your behaviors you're not your thoughts you're not your behaviors you're the awareness and the observer you know who am i you know who is jacqueline who is pj what are my values what's important to me because there's the conditioned values and there's those fear-based values of how we should be living, what does success, especially in Western society, what we should be doing. And you look at our society at the moment, it's very challenging for, you know, current generations to tick the box. You know, we can't, it's, you know, find a challenge with jobs or getting housing or getting a home. So we're getting a message of saying, I must be doing something wrong here because I'm failing. I, I should be doing X, Y, and Z. So it's bringing awareness to all that conditioning. And that, and that and also those fuels the fire, doesn't it? It fuels the problem. Jacqueline, let me take a commercial break, if you wouldn't mind. And I want to talk a little bit about the people that you're seeing in your clinics and in treatment at the moment and the changes that have come about in the last couple of years. I'm talking to Jacqueline Campion, who is an eating disorders therapist or eating distress therapist and herself recovered from eating distress. She's based at the Merino Therapy Centre in Dublin. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. So speaking with Jacqueline Campion from Marino Therapy Centre in Dublin about eating disorders or eating distress, which is the word that I think sometimes Jacqueline prefer us to use for reasons you've already explained and I'll come back to those series that you use a little bit later but I want to speak to you about the the things that you're seeing and maybe particularly with the the pandemic in mind. I think a huge increase in young people now coming forward in trouble and needing help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's a couple of different sides to what we're seeing. And I suppose the first thing that stands out is definitely, you know, the, the level of fear and uncertainty was definitely a catalyst. Now, it didn't cause, I wouldn't say it has enough power to cause an eating distress. We've definitely seen much um, younger people um, with much more aggravated behaviours very quickly. Um, so that's definitely one thing that we've seen, which is such a scary place to be. And one thing I'd say, it's one thing as, as someone as personal experiences but to to watch somebody experience that as a parent and unfortunately uh, the automatic thing as a parent that we often see is that they're often blaming themselves so we've seen a huge aggravation in terms of okay younger people but which sounds awful in one way but as someone who started their recovery you know in their kind of early teenage years it's something actually that I'm quite grateful in the long run the other side that we've definitely seen as well is that people with emotional overeating so that DSM-5 diagnostic manual that you spoke about earlier on that would often label behavior so for example it's in as binge eating we would use the term emotional overeating because you know labeling someone as, as, as a binge or a binge eating it doesn't sit with everybody but everybody's kind of different that language might suit some people but the emotional overeating there that's one of the behaviors that often is carrying the most shame and is often not taken seriously that we often hear about the terminology around anorexia or bulimia but really the kind of exercise addiction as well is a huge issue, but it's often celebrated in our society. So it can be quite challenging to seek help. But then with emotional overeating, we've definitely seen more people come forward, which again, sounds quite negative. But from our experience, it's wonderful to see people actually say, do you know what, this is enough now. And that's one thing about in one way, yes, we've seen a huge influx or a huge increase in, in inquiries and working with people but it's still people even accessing the services. So we have seen some people throughout the lockdown really say, do you know what, it's time now. Life, people kind of had a moment to sit and reflect a little bit and say, right, it's time to actually look at healing the relationship with myself. Because ultimately our relationship with food and the body is ultimately very much so just the relationship with ourselves. You know, it's not the problem, but Mm. it's a solution to something else. So we definitely have seen shifts, but I've seen people do incredible things over the last two years and yeah. kind of really kind of going, right, it's time now to, to focus on the full freedom. The, the, the emotional eating side of it, uh, and I suppose yeah. in, in lockdown, and we spoke to people mm-hmm. here on the programme who, who were worried about that during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that they're coming forward and putting out the hand to seek help, that surely, Jacqueline, can only be seen as a positive before, before the bully, as you call it, gets control. Yeah, 
Totally, because you think about even how much, like when we get an email or a phone call or I get a message from somebody, there is no underestimating how long that has taken or how long someone is waiting to make that contact. The level of courage and shame that that takes and the bravery, shame can't live in the spoken word. And unfortunately, we live in a society that carries a lot of weight stigma and it can be often seen as just kind of like, you know, with in terms of even emotional overeating, eat less, move more. And there's a huge pressure and there's a lot of as I said there's a lot of stigma in some of our messaging and some of our programs and it's Can actually say, just, actually it jump in across you there the eat less move yeah. more thing I mean that I've always said God if it was only um, that simple Absolutely. And it's the same with dieting. You know, there's great movements happening, but if there was one diet out there that was as effective as, as it claims to be in its marketing campaign, then surely everybody would have been doing it years ago. Like it's like the fashion industry, the trends change and we're making, it's a multi-billion industry that makes a lot of profit, mostly on people's insecurities and not feeling good enough. So it's so important that people understand you are not your behaviors. If you're noticing that there are maybe destructive behaviors or you're giving the body more or less of what it needs, or you you feel pressure to move or you're even the opposite side where you're sometimes there's such pressure to actually exercise as I said that's quite challenging to actually work with or not work with but actually for people to come forward because it's so celebrated but if you understand you're not your behaviours then we can actually start get learning more about what recovery is about. Recovery as I said it's not about just stopping the you know these behaviours around food. The recovery and the freedom is really as I said it's about learning who we are, learning how to live life. You know what does freedom look like for me what if there was no rules and what are my expectations of myself because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves we don't often even realize it we get so much messaging that like what we should be doing work personal life relationships body bettering ourselves society there's so much we've never had so many self-help books Mm -hmm. but what i can see with work with people is that this like to be honest with you when i started the calling it out podcast i said jane do we need another podcast but look if it's probably more for me than anybody else it was it was a platform where I can say like look this is what recovery and freedom is and from my experience personally and professionally but there's so many podcasts but what about even the implementation if you're reading something if you're listening to something and there's so much information and there's so many free resources as well how could I apply that two questions every time you're listening or reading something what did I learn even if someone's listening to this conversation today Mm. what did I take from that conversation um, with PJ today and how could I apply it to where I am Keep it simple. The bully in your head and the conditioned thinking and the self-limiting beliefs is very chaotic and very kind of complicated thinking. Freedom and recovery is about even learning to keep it simple, learning to trust ourselves, learning to nourish with our body. Our body is so intelligent. It needs to be having every two to 3,000 chemical reactions every single day, over 30 you know, trillion cells in our body and all they care about is you. But we have Fitbits and we're counting calories. Imagine you were in a relationship and you were checking how your partner was. So you looked at your 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 watch or your iPhone or your Android. Mm. We've lost the, how, to, how to communicate. And that body-mind connection is something that we work with, the relationship with our body. It's like couples counseling with the body. And it can be a bit awkward and it can be a little bit uncomfortable, yeah. but it gets easier. That's I, so important. Whatever I, I had a friend who, whose almost catchphrase in life was, I know my body very well it'll tell me when something's wrong and I'll do something about it and I thought there's there's a person who's really really grounded it's good to see more people coming forward though isn't it Jacqueline 
I absolutely think so. As I said, it sounds like a lot of the time the media can spin that and say, but I actually think it's wonderful. I've seen so much courage and bravery and people really stepping up to say it's it's time now. Because the, the, the last few years, people said, do you know what? My the, A lot of the people, even through lockdowns, realised that there's not much difference in my life. Because when you are actually in a toxic relationship like that with your mind, with the body, with food, your life is very small. And the smaller our life, the bigger we feel. And we feel, he- when I talk about bigger I'm talking about we feel heavier and then we get all this unhelpful messages and we have you know taxpayers kind of campaign saying like it wasn't long ago where they were giving out free measuring tapes in in pharmacies kind of saying make sure you're not this the fear even that we're putting in people and the shame of saying make sure that there's you know the, the task force and obesity people were terrified to actually, you know, they need to be counting everything. So it is so wonderful to see people say, do you know what, there's something up here and I can go and I can get the help and make sure that it's about not learning to live with it, but whoever you're contacting with to work with, because it's very much working with people. Not like, you know, sitting on a throne telling someone what to do all the time. It's mentoring and it's coaching and it's, and it's working with a person. But can, I, can I venture to ask you, can I venture to ask you what you think about yes. programs like Operation Transformation, for example? Absolutely. I mean, I think very little of them, you know, and in one way I think a lot about them. To put it very simply, we got to get very curious about the messaging. And unfortunately, what's happening now and um, is that there is, there's, you know, there's a, there's a huge campaign in end-diet culture, Ireland, and intuitive eating Ireland. They're making huge movements to actually kind of call out what problematic messaging is there. But unfortunately now, it makes a lot of money. There's only, re- only just today I saw a clip actually of the encouraging of weighing chocolate before we're eating it. These are actually very unhelpful behaviours. We are encouraging people to monitor, to count and to actually weigh themselves and then we grade one another and tell each other how well we're doing. I'm not, and that's so from my personal experiences from the beginning of the airing of that show and when they were bringing it into schools and I have many clients that they were in class and was being brought in I have not seen that program or the messages that it promotes to be helpful long term because okay. the the sole focus on the weight loss is it's problematic in so many areas. And it's we want to get curious about the messages that we're getting. Are we better at a certain size? Weight is not health. Your health is in your blood tests. The science will tell us that. Yeah. And, and that's so important to actually check the blood test. So from my experiences with working with people, even professionally, you know, um, it's it's incredibly problematic on so many different levels. Okay. It's a reflection on society as well, because I don't think it would be continued to be aired if people weren't watching it. But it is yeah. about educating viewers to say, does this make me feel heavier or light? And are there actually tools? It's dieting. It's glorified dieting. It's glorified restriction. Yeah. And that's encouraging people not to nourish with their body or trust their bodies. It's yeah. learning to trust our bodies, not other people and gadgets. Let me come back briefly before we finish, Jacqueline, too. And I must say, I love your use of the word, the bully. Okay. Uh, and in your podcast episodes, I heard you use it. I have a reason for it. Um, I have spoken over the years with people who, who have chronic depression in their lives, emotional mm-hmm. distress, and they talk about a black dog. Or, or as a friend of mine does, mm. talks about the number nine bus. Uh, and mm. the number nine bus is always running through their lives. And it's a question of, do they, here's an analogy. They hear it coming 
and they can take action to get out of the way. But sometimes mm. they don't hear it coming and it flattens them. The dog, they can hear growling. And when they hear the dog growling, they know what to do. The bully, bullies start off very quiet and very subtle. So you can, t- can you mm. teach yourself to hear the bully and identify the yeah. bully? Absolutely. And the way, so I'd refer to even the bully as, as like the condition. Okay. So it's like the conditioned voices, those conditioned beliefs. And it's, as I said, I like to keep it down to kind of awareness, acceptance, action, bring an awareness to the thinking, recognizing how is my self-talk? How is my language? Exactly like you said, actually noticing these things. And ultimately, you know, thoughts are like people, you know, um, someone who I, I quite admire, Owen McCabe, had said this, I trained with him before. And he said, thoughts are like people. If you ignore them for long enough, they go away. Mm-hmm. So conditioned thinking and bully-like thoughts, it's like someone who's at a party who's really annoying you and irritating you. You keep talking about how annoying and irritating they are, but it's actually like shifting the focus. What else could I focus on? You know, actually sitting down and writing, what do I actually like about myself? What do I value about myself? You know, simple things like even compliment notebooks. We're very good at actually, we could be remembering insults back from 2001, but trying to think of even a compliment or something, you know, pleasant that someone has shared with you in that day mm. because the, the the brain isn't even trained to do that. So there's so many simple ways. And exactly like you said, the black dog, and it's about melting the condition, educating ourselves who we are, which ultimately who we aren't separate the condition from the person and building up that person with that strength and resilience so they can actually have the courage to say, do you know what? I'm divorcing this toxic relationship. I'm not listening to you anymore. Yeah, I can hear what you're saying, but I'm not listening. I'm I'm not part of this conversation. Before I I let you go, Jacqueline, uh, here we go. Just listening to Jacqueline on with PJ Coogan. I've spent many years attending therapists in the Merino Therapy Centre, travelling by train from Cork every week to get help. It really helped me and I have a huge awareness of the voice of the eating disorder. Unfortunately, I relapsed 18 months ago. That voice is very strong, but I'm working on it. Mm. The founder of the centre, Marie Campion, is an amazing lady and a great advocate for eating distress. Keep up the amazing work. So, you're helping people. That Obviously, that person yeah. is in a bit of a difficult spot at the moment, but would have every mm-hmm. confidence of getting, getting back on the, uh, on the horse, as it were. Jacqueline, it's been a pleasure to speak with mm-hmm. you. You have a, an Instagram, as well as the podcast, which is, which is calling it out. You have an Instagram too. Yeah, so the Instagram page is at Marino TC. We're holding groups every week, every Tuesday. They're still online. You don't have to turn your camera on or share. You can just come along and learn from other people who are recovering. The podcast is there. There's three seasons of how you can actually be healing and freeing yourself from eating distress. Wherever you get your podcast, calling it out. There is hope. There's always a solution. And you're definitely worthy of the support. So just keeping that in mind. We spent a bit longer with it than we had intended to, but well worth the time. Thank you so much. That's Jacqueline Campion from Marino Therapy Centre, uh, Calling It Out podcast, and Marino TC on Instagram. Food for thought, as it were. Can you wish our wonderful mom Margaret O'Keefe, in Rostellan, a happy roundy birthday? It's a roundy birthday with a nine in it. Happy birthday, ma'am, from all the family. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. John Black has an unrelenting will to create and travel with his music, having released four albums in four years to much critical acclaim and has toured extensively across Europe and the UK. You can catch John when he comes to Collins Live on February 3rd and 4th. Access all areas. Climate change, mass unemployment, economic pandemics, the rise of global fascism. What could Reginald D. Hunter possibly say to upset you? You can find out when he comes to the Everyone Theatre for a show on Saturday, February 5th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. Maria was getting back to us uh, with regard to Paul's question on the 100 euro rebate off ESB bills or electricity bills. Good morning, says Maria. The scheme includes pay-as-you-go customers. It says on the official government website that the exact mechanism will be apl- how, how to be applied is currently to be finalised and will be announced in the new year. Well, that was pre-Christmas. It also says it'll be automatic and people won't have to apply for it. Okay, thanks for that, Maria. We'll just, it's, but it, it, this, with so many people now doing pay as they go for their electricity, it's of interest. 0818 96 96 96. You remember yesterday I was talking to Barry who was out walking his dog up around Farinree and let's say he said seminary walk I think he said but definitely that general area and he found needles and other such drug related paraphernalia when he was out with the dog and, and he did his best to sort of push it out of the way but he was just being very honest he said what if a child had found it or walked on it and then a listener contacted us to say that Frank Horgan is the man to contact uh, he's involved with needle exchange program and takes care of situations like this. Hi Frank. Hello, how are you? Uh, now, we, we got contacted yesterday and told that you were the man who handles these. So if, if in a situation like Barry, when he found this paraphernalia, what do you do if someone notifies you? I suppose, look, what I try to do is uh, quickly respond to the area. I try and get a location. Sometimes people will put on the postcode, send it on to me. And if I have a problem when I arrive in the area, I will contact the person because usually they either contact me by a call or by text. So if I don't locate it when I go there immediately, I contact them. They'll come out and show me. But look, I respond to this all over the city and basically a lot of people would have my number through police forum meetings, community meetings and stuff like that. And um, look, the minute look, I'll give you an example. On my way to work, to mo- on my way to work this morning, I got a text from somebody in another area, and on my way to work, I was able to remove that. But once I remove it, then I would text the person to thank them for informing me that there, but also let them know that it was after being removed. Mm. A lot of people wouldn't know that this service is available. Yeah, and I suppose through 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 community meetings and police forum meetings in general, and if I respond to something, I'll hand somebody a leaflet with my mobile number on it and I can get him to distribute if it's an apartment complex or a community area. So people will be aware then that there is somebody they can contact because sometimes when they don't know what to do, sometimes they'll ring the city council, the department in the environment, and they'll be handed my number there as well. Sure. As soon as I get it, look, it's straight out and, and deal with it straight away, you know? Yeah. 
why why does it happen, Frank? I was just thinking with Barry yesterday. It's because when someone does something like inject heroin, you know, in the immediate moments after they do that, they're so out of it that the last thing on their mind yeah. is tidying up their stuff. Look, I suppose when when you understand, I suppose somebody who's misusing opiates and when they when they inject, I suppose look the first thing on their mind when you understand it. I suppose from my perspective. People use because they have to use, because if they don't, they're going to be very sick. They're going to what they call withdrawals, so they're going to be experiencing cramps in their stomach, pains all over their body. And and when they use, they, they, they're just, just used to feel normal, so it's about stopping the sickness. But look, the discarding of, of the needle and, and the, dr- the other drug litter would be wouldn't be on their mind. But myself and my colleague, when we're on the streets, our job would be to sit down and Talk to them about the discarding needles, trying to encourage that. And I suppose what you're doing really is hammering at the door all day to, to encourage them to, I suppose, look, a lot of bad practices around this, to encourage them to bring them back to the pharmacies and stuff like that. And like, Do people get or have they been given a kit of some kind, the ones that you know are using? Yeah, look... A kit that they maybe... Yeah. Put the old needle into it. There, there is what they what they do when they get when they get a, a five pack or a ten pack or a three pack or a one pack. They will get a sharps box provided for, for that. And the idea is then when they when they use that they discard the needle in the box, bring it back, and they get new ones. But look, not everybody does it. Sometimes it's probably bad practices they picked up from other people. They've seen somebody throwing it away, so they do exactly the same. And part of our role then would be encourage people to, again, to work on that practice is about taking the equipment with you, put it into the box and bring it back. And, and that can just take a bit of time to change that behaviour with somebody, you know what I mean? Mm. It's like somebody throwing a cigarette butt out of the car, you know, or, or, or throwing, throwing a can on the street. It's just that behaviour is already there. It's about telling them, like, you know, this is, there's risks associated with this. You know, kids can come across it. People can get a needle stick injury. And, again, it's about changing, working with that individual yeah. and just trying to get them to change that practice. Yeah, you, you, treat, you, you try to educate them a bit, do you? Like, I mean, if they have the kits and, and, and they don't... Yeah. Yeah. And, and not alone do we do that. We, we, we would make an appointment then to get them into an opiate substitute program like Arbor House or Heron House. So we would do initial assessment and we'd work with a broader team in other addiction services like Heron House and Blackpool and Arbor House. And so to get somebody on an opiate substitute treatment, we would make an appointment with them. And each individual would be different. It could take maybe two or three appointments with one. It could take six months. It could take maybe three months. But you're building up rapport with the person all the time. Yeah. Because, look, I've often heard it on the street saying because of the shame and stigma attached to this, it's very hard for somebody to reach out for help. So we would encourage somebody. Like, if somebody wants to stay using, we would, we would, we would still work with them. And if they say, look, maybe three weeks' time, look, I've ha- I have enough of this, we would do the assessment yeah. and get them straight into addiction service. Yeah. Because and when you say straight in, there's obviously a waiting list for that as well, isn't there? There is a waiting list, but I suppose, look, um, for, for us in our role, I can sit down and if, if I sat down with you this week, for example, and I, I engage with you and I said to you, look, you have two options. If you want to stay using, we can support that, make sure that you're getting clean needles. We can provide those needles and give you a shelf's box and, and do that exchange with you. But if you say to us, look, that you want to get on, you want, you have enough of this, we could give you an appointment with the week and get the assessment done because we work outside of Arbor House. We're, we're, on, we're on the ground. 
and a lot of people that we engage with would be very hard to reach and get into mm. services. So you have to build a relationship with them, which yeah. is difficult, don't you? It, it does take time. Sometimes it can take a week or a fortnight. Other times it can take several months because there's, there's no trust there. And I think a lot of word on the street from myself and you in particular would be a lot of people would know me as the, the guy who picks up the needles, OK? Mm. And they talk to each other saying, this guy would be able to help you. And, and they would reach out much quicker. But again, it's about getting the initial assessment yeah. done because, you know, the initial you have to get the information to see what they're on. And, yeah. and then it's about getting them connected straight to what we call there's a two-step program in Arbor yeah. House where they get more education around the risk associated with going on an opiate yeah. shoot. Yeah. Frank, in terms of the, the, the picking up of the needles, which I suppose is where, where we started the conversation, like I know that you say you, you respond to calls or you respond to notifications do you or do those who work with you do you focus on particular areas do you, pro, do you prioritize if you have shall we say known disposal of sharps near schools would you prioritize them and check them frequently anyway like every week we're out three days a week so monday wednesday and friday and um, for example i come into the office i grab my bag my pickers my gloves my sharps boxes so over the last seven years there's been a lot of areas which have been identified. So the places that are showing up quite frequently, they'd get a lot more visits. So we'll say, for example, in, in relation to Farron Re last week, I would have got a call from one of the guys up there in, in the last maybe six weeks on two occasions. Now, we would drop up around the north side and we go to the south side, the city centre, right? But most of the using is happening in the city centre, so... As I said, look, I'd always re- appreciate a call from anybody in any part of the city, no matter where the drugs are scattered. But because there's so many areas, we focus on where it is. So look, some of the schools, we still pop in and out. So maybe one school I can come to my mind in the north side where they had an incident maybe two years ago. Once a month, I still go in and I just check in with the school, how's it going? And I suppose just that reassurance that we're still around, we're still going and have a look, you know? Because look, it could be something like somebody passing just down and throwing it in over the wall, and that might be just one a one-off thing. But if it's showing up a bit more, we'll say, in certain areas, we will visit that area three days a week. Okay. I see. Remove I see. anything that's there. And sometimes if a place quietens down, and I suppose, look, when people when people buy or sell, sell heroin, whatever, it, you know, when the guards come in and move into an area, the dealing moves, so the problem moves. Yeah. So you're following it and trying to keep on top of it all the time. Yeah. But look, thanks to people out there in the general public who contact us by the phone as well, because we'll only know to an area when there's a problem, so we're straight in. And mm-hmm. we'll monitor that, and that could be five to six months. It could be for the whole year. Okay. It depends on what's happening in the area, you know? Frank, thanks for the work that you do and for sharing an insight into it with us this morning on The Opinion Line. That's Frank Horgan from the Needle Exchange Program. I'll, I'll give you the mobile number that you can contact Frank on should you find anything that needs disposal. The message being never try to dispose of it yourself because it's very specialised and skilled work clearing that stuff up. But Frank does that and a team all around the city several days a week. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-96-96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Still getting those messages in about stuff that is going up and it's kind of stuff you wouldn't even notice. A lot of frontline stuff, essentials, they're going up all right, but not quite as much as the stuff you don't notice. But of course, when you buy a few bits and pieces and the bill goes up, you get to the till, you just pay it. Uh, any more observations? Happy to take them at 83 396 Wanted to get to this. Kate, you get the latest from the Aussie Open there from Pierce on the sports news. Kate says, I've been watching the Australian Open. It's so rowdy. I turned the sound off yesterday. It was so distracting. And that must be very unpleasant for the players. I know you watch tennis a lot, PJ. You mentioned it on the show. I was wondering, is it like that in all of the tournaments? I never heard it in Wimbledon. Is that just because they don't pick it up? Or are the crowds better marshaled? What is it? Wimbledon's a different a different basket of eggs entirely, Kate. Uh, it's so hard to get into Wimbledon, into the big show courts there, that the general public, there's only a few of them get in there. It's, it's very much more a select group that get into Wimbledon. It being probably the unofficial World Championship of Tennis. It really is hard to get in onto the show courts there. The Aussie tends to be a bit more raucous, admittedly. It tends to be a little bit louder and a little bit more raucous. The US Open can get that way as well, um, whereas the French is a bit more like Wimbledon, a bit more reserved in the crowds. But you see, Aussies anyway don't hold back. They're, they're not known for, for, for holding back when they're shouting or supporting or whatever they're doing. Maybe that's an answer. I've missed a lot of this one because it's on a ridiculous hour of the morning as well. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at work for most of it and, and I'm in bed for more of it. So I'm not seeing a whole pile of the Aussie Open, unfortunately. But I hope that answers your question, Kate. Another question we got. Willie was on to us uh, earlier in the week. I think it was Monday. And he was saying that, uh, I think it's his, his daughter or his granddaughter anyway, has tickets or had tickets for Lewis Capaldi at Irish Independent Park or Musgrave Park in 2020. And remember, that was the great summer of nothing. And was wondering what had happened. And she, he was saying how they'd saved up their money and they'd queued up for the tickets and, and what's happening now with all the money that they spent on those tickets two years ago. Well, Willie, I went for a look. MCD are the promoters of the Summer Festival of Concerts there in Musgrave Park in June. And I went for a, a peep through their uh, website to find that Lewis Capaldi is booked in to play Musgrave Park on the 24th and the original tickets are valid for that date. And I think the other the other gigs that were due there, as far as I know and as far as I can see from the website, they're also going ahead in June. But I hope that answers Willie's query. 0818-969696. Now, Sean, Ryan, you... you you decided to open up uh, about your personal situation and post it on your Instagram comparing what life is like now to what it was like two years ago. Why did you do that? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yeah, I suppose mental health is something I'm really passionate about. So I set up this um, page, Talks with John, there over about a year ago around the first lockdowns. I suppose just a bit, a small bit about me. I suffered a lot from my sexuality at a young age. Um, 
about 12, 13. In first year, I was very anxious about it. I suppose being gay in a small town, I felt it was a very opinionated topic. I had a lot of fear and stuff. Mm. And I suppose that led to a lot of anxiety. So that was grand in the US, so I finally found the courage to come out. But after coming out, which was such a big relief, I was still finding myself in a dark place. I was really caught up in my own thoughts, my own emotions, um, and I was just really bottling it up. Mm. I didn't really know what to do. So I suppose I, uh, I then lost a friend to suicide um, in 2016. Um, a good friend of mine, he was only 15 at the time, yeah. um, to suicide, and that took a really big impact on me. Yeah. So, however, um, I've seen the impact I had on his family and friends, but I was still feeling these dark thoughts and dark emotions. And the way I took to it was self-harming to start with. And um, I was self-harming then, and my parents found out, and I ended up going to a Mm counsellor. Counselling was great. Um, I'm very open about going to counselling. But then, like, I suppose... I um, was still in a dark place, you know. Yeah. I ended up uh, getting suicidal thoughts and I ended up in A&E one night. Um, I had an initial assessment. I was severely suicidal and I was discharged again. But after my discharge, I thought of a date. I had a date in my head. I had a plan in my head and yeah. I wrote my letter for you, my you, you, you suicide. Were in a, this, you were in a very, very bad place two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose uh, batting it up and get you know like opening up the conversation I suppose uh, with a lot of therapy um, a lot of self-development work a lot of mindset work I stood up this page talks to John um, so the reason why I set up this page was to open up about the conversation and break the stigma and kind of share tips of what's helped me. Only being 20 years of age myself, I feel there's a lot of people in the same boat as me struggling, especially since the pandemic. Um, was, was Was there something, Sean, that made you decide, I need to change something in me or I need to do something like you say how how in the dark place you were in and you had to plan and you had an idea and all of this and then you began to turn around. Was there something that made you stop and change or try to change? I suppose the work isn't within you. I suppose the looking around at my family and friends and and the love and support I got from them, um, a lot of talking, but the work comes back to you and come back to wanting to be alive, you know, and not not going down that dark place, you know, and talking, talking was a big thing, you know, to mm. overcome who such did, a traumatic who did, you, who did you talk to? I suppose I had a great team in CAMS, um, Child and Less Mental Health Services, and... Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a great team there and I had a great uh, team in school and I had a great family and friend support as well. Yeah. yeah. So talking started. would have been... Talking was so important. Talking to anybody who would listen and who would give you time, I think, in fairness. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And were you surprised, Sean, when you decided to talk? Were you surprised by who would listen? Yeah, I definitely was. You know, I I always had this preconception that there was a, still a stigma um, that it'd be brushed under the carpet. That type of thing, do you know what I mean? But um, talking just really helped me. It really expressed me. It got a lot off my chest, yeah. you know. 
as I always say, our problem shared is a problem halved. And 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 it's true, isn't it? Like you look fabulous now. You're you're the change in you in two years, and you feel good too, by all accounts. So when you look back, talking was the start, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And that led me to setting up this page, and I actually uh, named the talks with Sean. So my own name is Sean, and talks then is just yeah. about talking. And I just kind of share my own mindsets, development tips and tools, and make create awareness that I still do have bad days, and it's not always positive, you know. Yeah. I still cry, I still get overwhelmed, I still go to therapy, you know. You know, I still open up about my emotions. It's just breaking that stigma. Yeah. And letting people know it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. And and you must be very proud of how, how far you've come in two years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's uh, I'm very grateful for the amount of support I'm after getting and how much I'm after overcoming. But yeah, definitely. Good man. If there are others listening, and there would be young people listening to us, either listening to us directly now or listening on an overnight repeat or maybe on a podcast, and they are they recognise what you were telling us about two years ago what would you say to them I suppose like whether you're in work whether you're in school listening to this whether whatever you're doing whether you're home cleaning whatever you're doing if you're feeling any bit like this there's so much support out there pick up the phone ring a family ring a friend if that can't be accessible ring a helpline there are so much helplines out there ring your GP do you know what I mean that is the first step to overcoming a mental health uh, difficulty Talking really does save you, saved me, and it is saving loads of people around the world. Um, so your, my personal thing is talk, pick up the phone. Yeah. yeah. Talk to someone. Someone will always listen. You'd be yeah, surprised. Someone will always listen. listen. Someone will always be. Yeah, 100%. All right. Where can people find your Instagram, Sean? So my Instagram is just named Talks with Sean. Um, yeah, so I just kind of post a lot of stuff on that, just around like book recommendations, about self development, a bit of mindset, um, just talk about mental health in general, and it's just a bit real and raw as well, you know, speaking about the negative side of stuff as well, because not every day is going to be positive, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a very important message. I think you know you're going to have days where you're just like, would there be days when you couldn't have this conversation with me? Oh, definitely, definitely. I suppose like. Uh, Six months ago, I ended up back in um, the outpatient clinic, you know, I'm still open about that because I was suffering again with myself mentally, you know, yeah. I was getting caught up in my own thoughts. But it's reaching out for help is what saved me. Whereas a couple of years ago, when I wasn't reaching out for help, it was because uh, I was battling things up and that led me to becoming suicide, led me to becoming self-harming and yeah. stuff. You know, so talking straight away, picking up that phone straight away Fantastic. and uh, expressing your emotions, getting an appointment or just talking to a friend or family. All right. All right. You're overcoming with quicker, yeah. All right. Listen, Sean, con- continued success in, in the recovery and in the work that you're doing um, with Talks with Sean. Thank you. That's Sean Ryan. 0818 96 96 96. The people who will always listen because that's what they do. They don't advise. They just sit and listen. And you'd be amazed the number of people who tell me, I don't know why, but when I rang them and talked to them, they just listened. And they were the first people who ever actually just listened. And that's what they're trained to do. They're the Samaritans. 116-123. The call is free any time of the day or night. Any day or night of the year. 116 
one, two, three, and they will literally just listen. Or we can speak to your GP or talk to a friend or talk to a family member or talk to someone on your sports team, talk to a schoolmate, talk to anybody. Just talk. It does work. That's Sean's very own testimony. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Fully focused, what you mean? Got my eyes on the prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport With the Now Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app Cork's 96fm I'll come back to your messages about prices going up here and there uh, Before we finish Because there's a lot of them coming in Peter says very open and honest discussion on the opinion line about suicide and mental health well done Sean for being so open it's so important to talk and somebody is always willing to listen that's very true Peter very true there's more coming in I'll go through all the prices that seem to be going up slowly and they're not going up by huge amounts most of them but they're going up and it all adds to the, the cost of living 0818-969696. A new national award scheme has been launched to foster empathy and kindness and connection in schools. It's the School Empathy Awards. Dr. James Lawler is the Director of Narrative for Ireland, uh, which is the group behind this award scheme. James, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Tell me about this award scheme. Where did it come from? So, yeah, the, the Empathy School Award is a new national award scheme that aims to recognise and celebrate uh, post-primary schools that promote empathy, kindness and ke- connection amongst their students and staff. Um, we are uh, an empathy education organisation and we replicated a programme that was developed in the United States and it's an evidence-based programme um, and we train teachers in how to uh, run the programme and then they deliver it with their students. Um, it's all about uh, developing empathy skills and developing, you were just speaking about listening skills and the power of listening skills. So we actually train uh, teachers in how to help young people kind of become better listeners and kind of build a connection and empathy um, amongst, amongst, amongst themselves. What is empathy, James? If you were to define yeah, it. That, I, th- like, I suppose like... For me, I suppose empathy is understanding the emotions of someone else um, and uh, I I guess having feeling that emotion and then it allows you to act on it because there's no action without empathy. Like if you don't understand the feeling that someone else is feeling sad, then you can't do anything about it. So it's a real, um, it's a skill that we used to think that we were just born with like a, 
born with it, like that some people just are more empathetic. But I suppose the evidence over the last 20 years um, and the research has shown that it can be taught, that empathy skills and our capacity for empathy can be taught. Um, one of the ways that we teach empathy uh, is through storytelling, by getting young people, uh, and this is one of our, our methods, getting young people to tell stories from their lives and listen to each other. And then they have to, we pair them up and they have to listen to the, to each other's story. It could be a story about their, their grandparent or about their pet. And they have to listen to their partner's story and then they have to, uh, they, they can write it down and then they retell it to the larger group as if the other person, as if the story of the other person was, was their own story. Like they step into the shoes of somebody else and this kind of breaks down the barriers and allow you to see that we're all different. Like we're all different. We all experience the world differently, but sometimes we think that which sometimes we, we're so embodied by our own experience that we, we only see the world through like our own eyes. But sure. uh, let, 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 let someone show you the world through their eyes and then you'll understand how they see it. So, so how will this award scheme work, James? So we're already training teachers since we started in 2016. And we have a number of schools in, in Cork, such as Douglas Community School and Skibbereen um, Community School. And we've trained a number of teachers in this. So this is really to recognize the teachers that are really, you know, they're, they're, they're doing this um, training, usually in their own time, and they're bringing it into their school. Um, so the, the award will kind of recognize the schools that are kind of experts in, in social emotional learning. You know, they have a number of their tra- uh, staff trained, they're running programs such as this. Um, and that they can apply. We're calling all like teachers and schools to get involved, principals. You can go to narrative4.ie, and that's the digital4.ie, uh, uh, to look up uh, about the award, and you can download a leaflet, and we have school packs and everything ready uh, to send out to schools in Cork. Excellent. All right. Narrative4, with the, the number 4.ie. Thank you, James. That's Dr. James Lawler. He's the director of Narrative4. Uh, the Empathy Awards for Schools. More details on their website. There's a bit you have to do. You have to get teachers trained and all that kind of thing. But uh, it's good to see it out there. 0818 96 96 96. Butter is gone up 30 cent. And milk, 5 cent. In Aldi, says this. Uh, cooking oil in Duns before Christmas was 1 euro. Uh, for the same item last week, one eighty nine. That's a big difference if you're buying a few of them. Uh, thanks, Pat, for that. And Tesco's own brand of cordial, dilute like, <laughs> has gone from ninety nine cents to one eighteen. Whoa, wow, one eighty nine. That's doubled in price. Another caller says my local chipper has increased the price of a sausage supper from four ninety to six ten. And to make it worse, they've even taken out the two croquettes that were part of it. Different price rises, but price rises nonetheless. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I've talked and talked many times to Linda Kelly, who is the campaigner for maternity rights in COVID nineteen. We've talked about restrictions on partners at hospitals, and at procedures, and all of that. And Neffet wrote to the government last week and told them in the letter that the time was right to remove restrictions. In hospitals, uh, if if my understanding of the reading of the letter was as others was, that's exactly what they said. But it doesn't seem to have been done yet. Linda, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Am I right? Is that what they said? 
Yeah, NIFID have advised that from a public health guidance perspective, there's no reason to continue limiting visiting in hospital. And that's in general hospitals and in maternity settings. It covers, they actually refer to healthcare facilities. So it covers all healthcare facilities. And I know that other campaigners for nursing homes, for example, are looking for the same to apply there. So it's a very strange situation where, you know, we've had this so-called Freedom Day, we've had restrictions lifted, but yet there's this sort of radio silence about what we're going to do in hospitals. Um, So, you know, we're hopeful this afternoon when we meet with the HSE that they'll have a plan um, and that they'll have, you know, definite dates when they're going to lift restrictions on the remaining barriers that people are facing. So for anyone who's not sure about what's happening in maternity, all antenatal appointments are still restricted at the moment. Yeah. So you're in a situation um, where someone can go to a, a rugby match at the weekend with his buddies and go to the pub afterwards and, and have a few points into the evening as if things were all normal and yet cannot go with his partner to the maternity hospital on Monday morning for a scan. Yeah, that's the situation we have at the moment. And I think, you know, it's we can't continue like this. You know, when these restrictions were all brought in in March 2020, everybody understood it was an emergency situation. And, you know, we didn't know what we were dealing with. The fact that they have continued without like, you know, without really much interrogation from the hospital side for almost two years and the damage that has done to families who have access maternity services during this time you know it's really important now that you know if we're moving back to normal as as we've been talking about and as the government wants then that has to happen in every aspect of people's lives we can't just pick and choose the parts that you know if you were to look at it very cynically the parts that make money for the government you know Mm. maternity hospitals don't generate any money is that why they're being forgotten about Mm. Um, and I think it's it's really important now that we look at this and that we are very clear with people. If there is no public health reason why partners are being made to wait in car parks, then why is it happening? You have a meeting this afternoon. Who who with and what are you hoping to achieve? So you'll know, PJ, because we've talked about this a few times over the last year, um, that toward the end of last year, we started meeting with a very high level group in the HSC. So we've been meeting with the head of infection prevention control, uh, the head of the acute hospitals operation division, and with representatives from the National Women and Infants Health Programme. So this is probably our fourth or fifth meeting with them. Um, And so... Look, we had a meeting, a short meeting last week with them and, you know, there was green shoots, but there was nothing definite. Um, And I suppose that's our concern is that there won't be anything definite or, you know, we'll go back to a situation where every hospital is allowed to do their own thing. And I think we've we've seen that that sort of postcode lottery doesn't work. Um, And, you know, so we'll be hopeful that they have some plans today to present to us and that we'll be moving forward. But... You know, we've been disappointed before, so we're, you know, we'll wait to see what they have at the meeting today, mm-hmm. um, and then we, we'll go from there. Yeah, it makes no sense, and we had this before because I think in a previous letter from NEFT to the government, it said that the public health situation did not justify other restrictions, and, and yes, in some places those restrictions 
remained in place. You'd have to ask the question, if Neffet say there's no justification for such restrictions and the restrictions are still there, you have to ask the old question, Linda, don't you? Que bono, who benefits here? Yeah, exactly. It's been a long struggle and it's been a really hard fight to get the hospitals to actually follow national HSC guidance and to follow the position of our national public health experts. And I think what this has really shown up is there's a real question mark here over who believes they're in charge and who actually is in charge of hospitals. And I think, you know, the government and the minister have at times you know, because like Michal Martin has been openly supportive of our campaign yes. for a long number of months. And yet there's this sort of hand washing yeah. uh, of the issue, you know. It's, it's like always I, very hard to read where Stephen Donnelly stands, but to, to give him credit where it's due, I think he supports you as well. You, you'd wonder, is there not someone who can stand up and say, uh, I'm, I'm now speaking to the hospitals in my capacity as either what Taoiseach or Minister of Health. You shall lift restrictions and you shall lift them from next Monday. We need someone in that position. I think position. that's the point. I think that's the point, though, PJ, is that, you know, the minister says those things in media interviews, but then it doesn't happen in reality. So it comes back to who thinks they're in charge. Yeah. Is it the Minister for Health or is it, you know, management at hospital level? Oh, Paul Reid should be saying, lads, you, yeah, you'll be lifting those. Paul Reid should be coming out to say, lads, you'll be lifting those restrictions. You shall lift them from next week. There are a number, there are a number of people whose, whose words would be very strong if they spoke them. And I think to be fair to a lot of those people, they have, but there has been a power struggle. There is no doubt about yeah. it, you know. And I think we have to learn from this. I know the Taoiseach has talked about an inquiry, but we have to learn about, you know, all of these unintended consequences that came about throughout the pandemic and make sure that, you know, if we're ever in this situation again, which I think we would all hope not to be, but, you know, if we were ever in this situation again, the idea that women gave birth on their own or have C-sections on their own, that can't ever happen again. That can't ever happen again. Okay, Linda, leave it there. We'll see how that meeting goes today. We may talk again in the days to come. Linda Kelly, um, who's been campaigning throughout COVID-19 pandemic for, for better situations in hospitals where people, look, they understood the restrictions at the start. They understood them, they were tough, but they took them on board. And now Neffet has said there's no justification under public health for any further restrictions. But surely there is someone, the Taoiseach, to be fair, has always been sympathetic towards this. It's impossible to judge Stephen Donnelly at any time. But there must be someone, maybe Paul Reid, who can stand up and say to all the hospitals, guys, from Monday, restrictions gone. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Isn't that the way you run a country? I I thought it was. Am I wrong? Have I been reading the wrong book? Isn't that the way you run a country? Lads, from Monday, I'm not asking, I'm telling. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, right across the country, as you know, people are outraged at the shocking death of Ashley Murphy in Tullamore. Changes urgently needed in attitudes towards women 
it's longer acceptable for any of us to stand silent and we must act now. So Cork's 96FM and the Irish Sun has launched a campaign asking you to call out unacceptable words or actions which show disrespect to women. And it's only when we all act together that we can make meaningful change. So please do join us here at Cork's 96FM and call this out. 0818 96 96 96. I, I spoke to you before, uh, Olivia, Olivia Keating of the Rebel Wheelers. Uh, how are you doing these days? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? Good, good. How's the health with you? Good, not too bad. I was just uh, up at my consultant this morning, had a scan done at 7 o'clock. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's constant, but I am still doing good, which is the main thing. Good, good. Remind people again how you became involved with Rebel Wheelers. You had a terrible cycling accident. Um, I did, yeah. So roughly just about six years ago, um, it was the day before the, the Cork City Marathon. Um, I was out cycling because my Achilles was at me at the time. Um, so I went out for a cycle and unfortunately I was hit by a car. Um, and I went head first to a road sign. Um, so it like it was quite a, a, a bad, real bad accident. Um, I was in a, an induced coma for a couple of weeks and um, broke numerous bones. Um, and I think I was roughly up in CUH for about, I'd say for about four weeks, just slightly over four weeks. Mm. Um, and I was in the coma for probably about two and a half of those. Um, and then after that, I went up to Dunleary up to the National Rehabilitation Hospital, um, where I spent a couple of months um, doing numerous rehabs um, to do with my, my body, my physical um, injuries, and plus the brain injury I sustained as well. Yeah. Um, How did so you I, go from there then when you came through that, and thankfully you came through it as well as could yeah. be expected? How did you then end up with the, with the Rebel Wheelers? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you don't use a wheelchair. No, I don't. Um, I had to use one very briefly and I was using a walking frame, a crutch, a walking stick. Um, but at the time, um, I was looking for something, you know, just to keep me going. And I was thinking, God, if I'll never get back running or walking and what will I do? And I saw um, Cork Sports Partnership have a thing called the Sports Cork Sports Ability Day. Yes. So I knew I could attend. So I said I'd ring them just to find out information. And at the time, I spoke to the uh, sport inclusion officer who was Patrick Healy at the time. Um, and we had a great chat, the two of us. We were on about athletics. We both had the same passion. And he was telling me that he was about to set up um, a wheelchair um, racing um, around the track. Um, and he wanted to do a programme. And before you know it, I was um, volunteering with him to get that up and running. Um, and we did that, um, I think, back in, oh God, if the year is right now, 2016, 2017. Um, and we did it for about 12 weeks. And it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Um, and it was through that that I met some of the kids that were attending the Rebel Wheelers. So I, you know, started asking the parents at the time a little bit more information about the club. I reached out to the club um, and at the time it was uh, Jerry and Orla I met up with mm-hmm. um, sat down, had a good old chat with the two of them um, told them I really wanted to be involved um, and I started with the Saturday Morning Club yeah. which is generally for kids under 12 and um, where we do loads of fun games and activities and we try to introduce the kids to as many sports as we can and um, just to show them you know that we can still do it there's a way of doing it we just need to change you know adapt and um, figure out our own little way of doing it and um, 
and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, like you know, I think working with kids themselves, they're they're just yeah. a tonic. I, 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 well, I met I met the group once or twice, and they're just they're just phenomenal. Yeah. You know, they're absolutely. So, what's this award you won then? Pardon? You know, what's this award you won? A volunteer award? You have a very proud moment. Yeah. Oh God, it was. It was a bit like I actually had to bring them back again afterwards. It's like, what was it I won? Um, I was a bit overwhelmed. But um, no, it was a Cork Volunteer of the Year, and I won the sport category. Well done. Um, so it was absolutely amazing. You know, it was brilliant. You know, I knew the people in the club were just fantastic, and they they appreciate everybody in there because everybody's a volunteer. It's mm. a charity. Um, so they appreciate everybody's work, but then to get recognised again, you know, mm. yeah, it's it's, it's inspirational it the, way, the way that you came back from such a, a terrible, terrible accident. I suppose, Olivia, you you learn something about the what's deep inside you when you're recovering from something like that, don't you? Oh, you do. And like when I was up in the national rehab, like there was people coming in volunteering nearly every evening. Um, like even the Irish therapy dogs were up there. There was, you know, and I love animals, so that mm. they were just a, a fantastic distraction. I got involved with them initially. Um, when I came out of hospital, and um, I had Newfoundlands at the time, so they were perfect for the for the job, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of made me think, you know, these people could be at home having their dinner. They could be, you know, out with yeah. their families socialising, but they weren't. They were coming into the hospital to do things to keep us going and um, to distract us, I suppose. Everybody up there is going through a tough time. Yeah, I think the le- one one lesson you definitely learned was life is too short for holding back. Absolutely, it you know it so is you know every chance I get now, every opportunity. Um, before you know you might wait or you might be a little bit cautious. Now it's just you know a case of just go for it. Mm. Um, I think you have to. You know, I think even with COVID, I'm hoping that. You know, I hope people don't have to go through something like I had to to understand, you know, life is incredibly short. It can be taken from illness, injury, so many different ways. Um, and it's just about going out there, you know, enjoying yourself. If you can give back to your community, to, you know, a club, an organisation, mm. a charity, even better again. Because it does, It you, you do leave, like, anytime I left that club, anytime I leave a session with the kids, I leave with a smile on my face. Yeah. I have a great friend who always says, sweetheart, this ain't no dress rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, though. You know what? It's it's about going out there. And, like, this is what I'm doing at the moment. Um, there was a race I was meant to do a couple of years ago. Um, and obviously, over the accident, I didn't get time to do it. But I'm heading off to the Arctic now in three weeks' time. Wow. Um, doing what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, again, I, like, I, I'm not going to be able to do it the way I... I could have done it before. Yeah. I, I, I may not finish it. I don't care anymore. It's just about going out there, enjoying it. And what, what, are, you doing, what are you doing in the Arctic? I mean, it, it's a 230-kilometre run. Oh, just a <laughs> she-like. Yeah. <laughs> As you do. So, As you do over so, February. I don't know how far I can go, PJ. <laughs> There's no guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> The way I look at it is, if I get to 10 kilometres, that's just amazing in itself. Oh, you brilliant. Know, it's just... I, mean, I, wish you, I wish you well with that. And congratulations <laughs> on the Volunteers <laughs> Award. I'd love to talk to you after the Arctic to, to, to hear, hear. I mean, for, for me, it's cold enough down by the, by the marina at the moment, let alone the Arctic. So <laughs> good, good luck to you, Olivia. And thank you very much. And congratulations. That's Olivia Keating involved with Rebel 
wheelers. You get one shot off this, lads. One shot. Take it with both hands. On the sayings, there's a story in the news there about old sayings that we don't use anymore. God, we, you know, we, we might we might do something on more on that tomorrow. Old sayings that your parents use that you have no idea what they mean. You go and look them up. And go, oh, that makes sense. For example, I just had to look up the meaning of a stitch in time saves nine. I never knew that it meant to fix a small problem before it becomes a big one. Every day is a school day. There's a, a bit of an unseemly set to going on, shall we say, between Taylor Swift and Damon Alburn. Now, Taylor Swift, you don't need me to tell you who she is, but Damon Alburn was a frontman for a band called Blur back in the 90s. Great band, wonderful band. But they had a set too because he was criticising uh, Taylor Swift's songs and saying she doesn't write them and they're not co-written. And he was kind of looking down his nose at her songwriting. And that did not go well. She lashed back at him. So so well did she lash back that he apologised, in fact. And then went to blame the Los Angeles Times for publishing the story as clickbait. He had said she doesn't write her own songs and all of that. But I think they've kissed and made up now and, and all of that. But it did kind of open that discussion. Does, does a song have to be dark, deep and meaningful to be a good song? And, and does a hit record have to be a hit for the person who wrote the song? And are songs that are just fun, how, do they have their place? Jen Bowler of Sparkle. Hiya, Jen. Hey, PJ, how's things? Good, 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 good. Great to see you guys going back on the road by, as well very, very soon. But but talk to me about that. Like You, you write your own songs as well as performing uh, covers. Like the writing of a song, it doesn't have to be deep and meaningful all the time, does it? Um, I don't think so, no. Like, obviously, there's a place and time for the deep and meaningful songs, but most songs, well, I think, anyway, you know, that are upbeat or, like, have not a very deep meaning kind of do better than, you know, a Dear Diary song. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so I think there's a place for both, but it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. Like, when you sit down to write a song, yourself mm-hmm. and Caroline, what, what is, it, is, yeah. it, is it just because something occurs to you, there's a song in that? Um, yeah, so it kind of depends on my mood, really. I'm definitely more of an upbeat, well, with music and things like that, I try to keep it upbeat and kind of, you know, something people can dance along to or sing along to. Um, I do, like, if, I suppose, if I have something on my mind, I will make that the topic of the song, to be fair, and try and write around that, like, you know? Yeah. Um, so th- that would be kind of our process with it then as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you're not always looking to make it a, a deep, meaningful imprint on society you just want to write a song about something that took your mind or something that occurred to you yeah exactly like sure look at WAP there that was like one of the biggest songs ever and sure like that the, the words of that are definitely not deep meaningful like you no, know no 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 no, no, <laughs> yeah. no one would be reading them out on the radio either do you know no uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff you know girl codes and Squad, you know, taking Adele. Oh my God, Almighty! I mean, how many more songs about a broken up relationship can Adele possibly write? Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's got to be more fun out there, hasn't there? 
Yeah, I think definitely after the last two years that everyone's been through, I think I think happy now and fun and upbeat is the team that everyone's kind of looking for. Like, you know, now I love Adele, don't get me wrong, I think she's amazing, but um, definitely with our own writing, we're trying to kind of make the more upbeat, kind yeah. of happy songs at the moment anyway, like, you know. Yeah, you guys have got an awful lot to be happy about, given Caroline's fantastic recovery from that accident and all that. I know, I know she's flying it now, so we can't wait to get back to work. So we've um, the diaries are open anyway, and they're it's so busy. We're so surprised at how Good. busy it's like already, you know. So we're delighted, yeah. and we're still releasing music now. So we have another song coming out on Friday. Um, so we're just writing away and trying to work away, you know. Good. But um, Good. we're delighted now that yeah. we're kind of getting back to normal. And what do you what do you make of it? Uh, no, look, I mean, I, I remember when Blur were at their at the peak of their powers, and they were a great band, and he was very highly respected. But is he a bit past it now? Do you think in terms of um, the older know. songs, the older ways? Like I, yeah, like I do. I'm a fan of Blur myself, so I do like him and everything like that. But I honestly think he did the whole thing for a bit of publicity, you know, um, because I mean Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, they're all in, you know, the press all of the time, and like, yeah. he kind of just, I don't know. I feel like he just did it on purpose, kind of to get a bit of, I suppose, get Blur's name back out there. Maybe I'd yeah. say maybe there'll be a new single coming out now or a reunion tour or something. Anyway, oh, you're you know, getting as cynical as I am, Jen. I, I said the same. Does, <laughs> he, does he have an album coming out or a tour or something? Jen? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, you know, you know, it's all the, the, the so. thing that always bothered me too, and I, I remember with music in the 80s and 90s and the 90s, snobbery is an awful thing in music, and there are some desperate musical snobs out there too. There is, there is, yeah. No, I know, I hate that as well. Because, like, like, I mean, there's different genres. People like different things, fair enough, but you don't... Well, I just wouldn't criticise anyone else's kind of, you know, if someone likes pop, if someone likes rock, you know, yeah. everyone's allowed their own opinion, but don't kind of bully people in a way like you know just leave them be you know yeah. that's how I feel about it anyway you, yeah, know? Yeah, you might um, you, you, you might you might have written if you, if you take actually and um, I, I don't know if you've ever met him but you certainly like like everybody else in the business world recognize the genius of Phil Coulter uh, and and I've met and worked with Phil many times but Phil wrote the town I love so well and he also wrote Puppin on a string so you can do anything you want to write on the day yeah, that's it, like, you know, yeah, so, and like, for someone like Taylor Swift, that's been around for so long, yeah. and she started songwriting, I think, when she was like 13 or right. 11 she, or something, really young, anyway, she, like, she's proved, you know, her, she's proved kinda, her worth as a writer, she has proved her worth. Yeah, do you know, it's it's like her main thing is what she does is write, so I don't know what he was trying to do, really. <laughs> it <laughs> do backf- it backf- they've all kissed and made up now, I think someone said to him, Dayman, do you realise how popular she is? You better make this up, dude. You better make up with her. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jen, thanks a lot. Good luck to yourself and Caroline. At Sparkle. Yeah, thanks for that. When I Was Your Man was actually written by, co-written, um, Philip, Bruno Mars, Philip Lawrence, Anne Levine, or Ari Levine, and Andrew Wyatt co-wrote and clubbed on When I Was Your Man. That's it for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.